Section 29 of Personal Memoirs of U.S. Grant. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Jim Clevenger. Personal Memoirs of U.S. Grant by Ulysses S. Grant. Chapter 29. Van Dorn's Movements. Battle of Corinth, Command of the Department of the Tennessee. On the 19th of September, General George H. Thomas was ordered east to reinforce Buell. This threw the army at my command still more on the defensive. The Memphis and Charleston Railroad was abandoned except at Corinth, and small forces were left at Chowalla and Grand Junction. Soon afterwards, the latter of these two places was given up, and Bolivar became our most advanced position on the Mississippi Central Railroad. Our cavalry was kept well to the front, and frequent expeditions were sent out to watch the movements of the enemy. We were in a country where nearly all the people, except the Negroes, were hostile to us and friendly to the cause we were trying to suppress. It was easy, therefore, for the enemy to get early information on our every move. We, on the contrary, had to go after our information in force, and then, often, returned without it. On the 22nd, Bolivar was threatened by a large force from south of Grand Junction, supposed to be twenty regiments of infantry with cavalry and artillery. I reinforced Bolivar and went to Jackson in person to superintend the movement of troops to whatever point the attack might be made upon. The troops from Corinth were brought up in time to repel the threatened movement without a battle. Our cavalry followed the enemy south of Davis's Mill in Mississippi. On the 30th I found that Van Dorn was apparently endeavoring to strike the Mississippi River above Memphis. At the same time, other points within my command were so threatened that it was impossible to concentrate a force to drive him away. There was at this juncture a large Union force at Helena, Arkansas, which, had it been within my command, I could have ordered across the river to attack and break up the Mississippi Central Railroad far to the south. This would not only have called Van Dorn back, but would have compelled the retention of a large rebel force far to the south to prevent a repetition of such raids on the enemy's line of supplies. Geographical lines between the commands during the rebellion were not always well chosen, or they were too rigidly adhered to. Van Dorn did not attempt to get upon the line above Memphis, as had apparently been his intention. He was simply covering a deeper design, one much more important to his cause. By the 1st of October it was fully apparent that Corinth was to be attacked with great force and determination, and that Van Dorn, Lovell, Price, Villapique, and Rust had joined their strength for this purpose. There was some skirmishing outside of Corinth with the advance of the enemy on the 3rd, 
the rebels massed in the northwest angle of the memphis and charleston and the mobile and ohio railroads and were thus between the troops at corinth and all possible reinforcements any fresh troops for us must come by a circuitous route on the night of the third accordingly i ordered general mcpherson who was at jackson to join rosecrans at corinth with reinforcements picked up along the line of the railroad equal to a brigade hurlbut had been ordered from bolivar to march for the same destination and as van dorn was coming upon corinth from the northwest some of his men fell in with the advance of hurlbut's and some skirmishing ensued on the evening of the third on the fourth van dorn made a dashing attack hoping no doubt to capture rosecrans before his reinforcements could come up in that case the enemy himself could have occupied the defenses of corinth and held at bay all the union troops that arrived in fact he could have taken the offensive against the reinforcements with three or four times their number and still left a sufficient garrison in the works about corinth to hold them he came near success some of his troops penetrating the national lines at least once but the works that were built after halleck's departure enabled rosecrans to hold his position until the troops of both mcpherson and hurlbut approached towards the rebel front and rear the enemy was finally driven back with great slaughter all their charges made with great gallantry were repulsed the loss on our side was heavy but nothing to compare with van dorn's mcpherson came up with the train of cars bearing his command as close to the enemy as was prudent debarked on the rebel flank and got into the support of rosecrans just after the repulse his approach as well as that of hurlbut was known to the enemy and had a moral effect general rosecrans however failed to follow up the victory although i had given specific orders in advance of the battle for him to pursue the moment the enemy was repelled he did not do so and i repeated the order after the battle in the first order he was notified that the force of four thousand men which was going to his assistance would be in great peril if the enemy was not pursued general ord had joined hurlbut on the fourth and being senior took command of his troops this force encountered the head of van dorn's retreating column just as it was crossing the hatchie by a bridge some ten miles out from corinth the bottom land here was swampy and bad for the operation of troops making a good place to get an enemy into ord attacked the troops that had crossed the bridge and drove them back in a panic many were killed and others were drowned by being pushed off the bridge in their hurried retreat ord followed and met the main force he was too weak in numbers to assault but he held the bridge and compelled the enemy to resume his retreat by another bridge higher up the stream ord was wounded in this engagement and the command devolved on hurlbut rosecrans did not start in pursuit till the morning of the fifth and then took the wrong road 
Moving in the enemy's country, he traveled with a wagon train to carry his provisions and munitions of war. His march was therefore slower than that of the enemy, who was moving towards his supplies. Two or three hours of pursuit on the day of battle, without anything except what the men carried on their persons, would have been worth more than any pursuit commenced the next day could have possibly been. Even when he did start, if Rosecrans had followed the route taken by the enemy, he would have come upon Van Dorn in a swamp with a stream in front and Ord holding the only bridge. But he took the road leading north towards Chihuahua instead of west, and, after having marched as far as the enemy had moved to get to the Hatchie, he was as far from battle as when he started. Hurlbut had not the numbers to meet any such force as Van Dorn's, if they had been in any mood for fighting, and he might have been in great peril. I now regarded the time to accomplish anything by pursuit as past, and after Rosecrans reached Jonesboro, I ordered him to return. He kept on to Ripley, however, and was persistent in wanting to go further. I therefore ordered him to halt and submitted the matter to the general-in-chief, who allowed me to exercise my judgment in the matter, but inquired, why not pursue? Upon this I ordered Rosecrans back. Had he gone much further, he would have met a greater force than Van Dorn had at Corinth, and behind entrenchments, or on chosen ground, and the probabilities are he would have lost his army. The Battle of Corinth was bloody, our loss being 315 killed, 1,812 wounded, and 232 missing. The enemy lost many more. Rosecrans reported 1,423 dead and 2,225 prisoners. He fought behind breastworks, which accounts for some degree of the disparity. Among the killed on our side was General Hackleman. General Oglesby was badly, it was for some time supposed mortally, wounded. I received a congratulatory letter from the President, which expressed also his sorrow for the losses. This battle was recognized by me as being a decided victory, though not so complete as I had hoped for, nor nearly so complete as I now think was within the easy grasp of the commanding officer at Corinth. Since the war, it is known that the result, as it was, was a crushing blow to the enemy, and felt by him much more than it was appreciated at the North. The battle relieved me from any further anxiety on the safety of the territory within my jurisdiction, and soon after receiving reinforcements, I suggested to the General-in-Chief a forward movement against Vicksburg. On the 23rd of October I learned of Pemberton's being in command at Holly Springs and much reinforced by conscripts and troops from Alabama and Texas. The same day General Rosecrans was relieved from duty with my command and shortly after he succeeded Buell in the command of the army in Middle Tennessee. I was delighted at the promotion of General Rosecrans to a separate command because I still believed that when independent of an immediate superior, 
the qualities which I, at that time, credited him with possessing would show themselves. As a subordinate, I found that I could not make him do as I wished, and had determined to relieve him from duty that very day. At the close of the operations just described, my force, in round numbers, was 48,500. Of these, 4,800 were in Kentucky and Illinois, 7,000 in Memphis, 19,200 from Mound City South, and 17,500 at Corinth. General McClernand had been authorized from Washington to go north and organize troops to be used in opening the Mississippi. These new levies, with other reinforcements, now began to come in. On the 25th of October, I was placed in command of the Department of the Tennessee. Reinforcements continued to come from the north, and by the 2nd of November, I was prepared to take the initiative. This was a great relief after the two and a half months of continued defense over a large district of country, and where nearly every citizen was an enemy ready to give information of our every move. I have described, very imperfectly, a few of the battles and skirmishes that took place during this time. To describe all would take more space than I can allot to the purpose. To make special mention of all the officers and troops who distinguished themselves would take a volume. End of section 29. Recording by Jim Clevenger, Little Rock, Arkansas. Jim at joc.clev.com.